I remember um, when I was in high school, I was a senior in high school. I grew up in Denver, so I was a big Broncos fan. We had this football player on our team by the name of uh, Lyle Alzado. Lyle Alzado was drafted by the Denver Broncos. He was probably one of the meanest, uh, toughest football players that ever that have played the game. I mean, there's a lot of guys that were like that, but Lyle Alzado was a unique, unique person. He ended up uh, becoming a spokesman for steroid use because back in the days, they didn't understand the impact of steroids. And uh, he had quite a story to young athletes about steroids. But I remember he was up uh, to get a new contract and him and the Broncos were having issues and Lyle Alzado being the kind of person he was, he decided to show them that he could make a living another way. So he put on this promo fight. Uh, it was to take place because he grew up and, and going to Golden Gloves. And I guess he was a, went to championship and Golden Gloves. So he was a fighter and he thought if he could show them that he could stand toe to toe with the best, that he could go into another field and make money. And he was trying to show them that he, you know, they needed to stand up, pony up for the contract. So he set up this promotional fight with Muhammad Ali in Mile High Stadium in the month of July. I'll never forget it. Muhammad Ali had just retired about a year before. Uh, I forget who his last fight was with, but here he was, he was coming in. And Muhammad Ali, in, in his own admission, he thought this was just a promo fight. He really didn't prepare for the fight. Normally, he would lose some weight and exercise and prepare. But in his mind, he's thinking he had spent 25 years, you know, perfecting his craft. And that a football player coming in the ring wasn't going to stand a chance. And so here came the day of the fight. And uh, they go out there, and Muhammad Ali's doing his thing. And he's kind of showing the only problem was... Lyle Alzado had a whole different mindset. Lyle Alzado was going after him and throwing punches and, and hitting him as hard as he could and was really going after him. By the second round, there was eight rounds in the fight. By the second round, Muhammad Ali realized he was in the middle of a fight here. He had to, he had to really kind of tune it in and, and pay attention. And, and he even admitted after the fight, you know, he didn't, he didn't run, he didn't prepare like he normally would for a fight and uh, was really kind of caught off guard by Alzado. Well, if you know Alzado, he, it's all or nothing. And that's how he approached the fight. And he went eight rounds with Muhammad Ali, showed that he could stand. It was about two weeks before training camp and his face was all bruised, but he was going into training camp anyway. Uh, it was kind of hilarious. And I remember us just laughing about it, just thinking it was so funny. And part of what we were laughing about is that Muhammad Ali would believe that he could go in the ring with Lyle Alzado and Lyle Alzado wouldn't try to knock his head off. Because if you know anything about him, he would have done that. And I, I tell that story because I, I think of it a lot in, in the realm of our spiritual battle. A lot of us as Christians, we walk into the, to our faith and we're not prepared for the spiritual battle. Most of us don't even think about it. We're not even aware of the spiritual battle that's going on around us. We get very comfortable in our world. We get very comfortable in our jobs and our routines. And we find ourselves caught off guard in that evil day. And we're gonna talk about that in a minute. And we get caught off guard. We don't acknowledge the spiritual realm that is going on. That we have an adversary in the, world, in the warfare who wants to destroy us. If there's something I'm gonna say to you today, please hear that. You have an enemy. And he wants to make you, he wants to destroy you and make you forget everything that is good about who God is. 
And we're living in a world that is moving away from God so fast, that is being deceived, it's going down a, a path because they just don't realize the spiritual battle. You know, I like to refer to the garden a lot of times in Adam and Eve, and as it's really the only aqua, uh, um, incident in the scriptures where there's no sin. And I like to try to think about what that was like. But we see in the garden before sin had entered in the garden, we see Adam and Eve intersecting with the spiritual. You see God coming down and walking with them. We know there was this relationship. They weren't caught off about the spiritual. And it was when sin came that sin separated God from man. We became separated from him. And, he's, and we became separated in understanding the physical realm about us. And we need to be understanding that there's a bigger picture that we're looking at. That behind the physical, there is a spiritual warfare that is taking place. When you talk about warfare, battles are fought on different fronts and for different reasons, varying intensity. Webster describes battles or warfare as battles involved in conflict between two persons, between two factions, between armies, and they consist of any type of extended contest, struggle, or controversy. And yet we live in a day, to be honest with you, in a world where war in the physical realm is very controversial. Many of you probably are against war of any sort. And sometimes that leans over into the spiritual realm where you begin to look at and wonder, hey, do I want to fight this battle? Do I even want to be involved? And it begins to impact us in our, in our own thinking of, of spiritual warfare, spiritual battle, our own, our own walk with God. And it's no good to learn about it if we don't see any reason to fight. The spiritual battle will go on regardless of your opinion, regardless of what you think, You'll either be a victim or you'll be a victor. Jesus has already conquered. He's already came. And he's already made, given us victory. But often we walk in, 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 in defeat. So we're going to look at spiritual warfare over the next few weeks. We're going to talk about it. I'm going to talk about it because I'm concerned I'm concerned that do we as God's people, do we understand the spiritual battle that's going around, on around us? And do we understand the fight that's before us? You see, when we read a few minutes ago, when Tanya read this passage in Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, it's really a passage that is calling us to arms. It's a passage that is, that is setting us up to understand that we are in the middle of a conflict. That there is something out there, there is someone, there is an adversary who wants to defeat you. It concerns my heart and our generation that as we begin to look at spiritual things that we find over and over, people moving away from spirituality and they're moving to more of a self. And they don't understand the evil that's about them. And they're not aware of or prepared for the fight. Jesus conquered. He routed the host of wickedness. And we identify with him in his conquest. We identify with Christ. And so this section of this passage, it, it discusses the believer's use of God's resources 
And it helps us to stand against evil and spiritual warfare. It's important. Every one of us need to have this understanding in our walk. In verses 10 through 13, I just want to read them again of chapter 6. If you're there with your Bible. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord. In the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Man, if we would understand that, how much more or how, how many more fewer divisions would there be in the body of Christ? Where would bitterness and hatred go? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. I love that phrase there. It says in the evil day, because it doesn't say if the evil day comes. It says in the evil day. Some would say maybe it was the end of time when Satan comes and all of, and he's, all of his powers and it's ended on that day. I don't think that's what Paul is referring to. I think Paul's talking about us as believers facing those days, those days when, when things are at their worst, when, when because of the schemes of our adversary, we begin to begin to doubt, we begin to become discouraged. Because behind the physical is the spiritual. And there's a, there's a war going on. I'm going to be really honest with you all. It's not that I'm not honest normally. I guess that's a problem with that. This series is, is a challenge for me. Because if I have to be honest with you, this last year wasn't one of my better years. I found me on several occasions where I was just, um, I was just at the end of my rope. There was one term I used on one day where I just said I was devastated. Have you ever been there? You all know what the evil day is. We had gotten some health, I'd gotten some health uh, news about some health issues, somebody that's really close to me. I was worried about Lydia's aunt. She's 93. Hurricane had just came through. She wasn't answering her phone. We had neighbors that were calling us. And then it was just like the worst case scenario over and over again. We, we had things on, on our house and, you know, I would pray about it and, and like just figure the worst case scenario and it happened. And then something else would come up and I'd begin to pray about, figure the worst case scenario and it would happen. And then I would pray about it and, Worst case scenario would come up again, you know, that you could think about, and it happened. And I remember something else coming up, and I was like, I don't even need to pray about this. It's going to be the worst case scenario, right? <laughs> you ever been there? Yeah, I know. I've, I preach God's word, and I seek after him, and I follow him. But, man, don't you forget that I, like you, struggle too. I'm in the battle. And some of you are going through the same thing. You get to a place where you say to yourself, do I need to pray about it again? Does God mean good for me? 
Is God, is God going to hear my prayer? Is God going to answer? It's in that evil day that comes when, when discouragement has grabbed us and we don't think we have any more hope. And we begin to doubt God. We begin to doubt his plans and his purposes. We begin to doubt his ability. We begin to doubt, does he mean good for me? We were driving. I was telling Lydia, I was like, man, I was, I was naming all these things. And I'm like, Lydia, I, I don't know, man. I just feel like I'm right here. And, 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 and I tell you what, people around here that work with me, they were having to put up with me too. I, I was like, man, I, I, feel like, I feel like there's just, it's just like I'm right there at the lid. And I just... And Lydia just goes, it's, it's just a spiritual battle. I'm like, I know, I don't want, you know, and they're like, don't tell me that. Who wants to fight a spiritual battle, right? We just want to, we just want to have everything go well. That's all we want. I want to get out and start my car every day, right? Never, never break down. I, I want my house to sit there and not have any foundation issues. I want, I want, I want, I want to make sure I have clothes in, in my closet. I want to have food in my cupboard. I just, I just want to live and breathe every day without problems. And we think that is what spiritual warfare is all about. And it's not. It's about learning how to depend on God and to rely on his strength and his power. You see, the one thing that our adversary wants to do is he wants you to forget who God is and what he is doing. Our adversary, the devil, wants to deceive us. And who he deceives, he destroys. Who he can't destroy, he tries to deceive. It's one or the other. He's either destroying or he's trying to deceive us. And dear people of God, if there's a time for God's people to stand firm, it is now. In the midst of our culture, in the midst of the things that are going on, that we stand firm in who Christ is. Our adversary wants us to begin to not believe truths like in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Amen, amen, amen. It was in that moment when I did not want to pray that I began to be deceived about God's goodness. And yet I already had it in Christ because God had already blessed me with every spiritual blessing. There's a little principle here. I was really thinking through this as, as I was going through that time and as I was struggling and trying to get what, it, what happens is you know things that you know. I know that God has blessed me with every spiritual blessing. I know that God means good and not evil. I know these things about who God is from everlasting to everlasting, all powerful, full of glory and majesty. I know those things, but in that moment, I felt devastated. And that devastation was powerful. And then what do I choose and how do I act on it? Do I act on what I know to be true or do I act on what I think and feel? And that moment for me, it was so powerful. I think so many times that's what happens in our, in our world, isn't it? Happens in our, in our struggles. I hear it when people begin to get distracted by things where they think in a relationship, oh, I'll be happier with her or him, and they deceive themselves thinking that God 
means evil. And they walk away from the faith following after things that never provide joy and peace. It might for a, seem like for a time, but it does not have the joy and the goodness. We see people do that in regards to the struggle within regards to the scriptures sometimes, right? I mean, there's times I read things here and I go, man, I don't understand that. It doesn't make sense. But I know that God to be true. I know his word is right. Do you stand on those things? How do you respond? I remember when I was in the hospital, it was a year ago last Sunday. I had had COVID and went into the hospital. I had just started the Sunday before, I think it was, that I started that series called The Blessed Life. And I remember I was sitting in the hospital. We, you know, you didn't know a whole lot at the time. We didn't know a lot about COVID. I was sitting there and didn't know. I didn't feel good. It was the, the morning after. I didn't get any sleep that night. It was all that kind of stuff. I remember sitting there. All of a sudden, I went and asked myself the question, Am I still blessed? I'm sitting in this hospital and I was sitting there asking myself, am I still blessed? And I remember in my heart, I was like, it sure doesn't feel blessed, right? But in my mind, I knew I am just as blessed right now as I ever have been. Yes, I am blessed. I'm blessed in Christ. I'm blessed in his strength. I'm blessed in who he is. And I'll never forget, I just I just felt his peace. I felt his, 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 his spirit just coming around and lifting me up because it's in his power, his strength that we overcome. Dear people of God, our adversary wants us to forget that God is good. He wants us to forget that his word is truth. He wants us to forget that these things in his word that he speaks to us and what he's done in Christ Jesus is the sustaining factors in our lives. And we begin to pursue other things. He wants us to do that. That's why Paul says in verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Paul is, is giving us a, a, a finality here in his argumentation of the book. It's an exhortation that encourages to be strong by remaining in the power of Christ, in the position of our strength. It's in the Lord. By remaining, remaining strong in the source of our strength, which is Christ. It's in that union with Jesus where our strength comes from. I love Paul. I love reading his, his letters. And part of it's just because I feel like his argumentation just fits the way I think. A lot of times when you look at his letters, he's, he's dealing with who we are in Christ. And then he talks about how we respond as a result. He builds this doctrine, this position of who we are, what we believe. And then he begins to talk about behavior. He does it over and over again. And he does it right here in Ephesians. In fact, I think it's important to understand it in order to understand when he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. In order to understand that, we need to look at at the book of Ephesians, and I have a slide here that, <clears throat> that kind of builds on this, this outline of Ephesians. We got it? Not the verse yet, I'm sorry. The, the outline of the, the book, next one. There we go. All right, so when you look at this, start from the bottom and build up. 
When we're looking at it, Paul is in the first three chapters, he's talking about belief. There's a foundation. If you look at the comments, like the ditch of possession, the forms of prayer, cement of position, the wall of powerful prayer, what I do with the book of Ephesians, and it's a beautiful book, because what it does is it's really describing how do we build up in Christ? You, 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 when you're building a house, you start with a ditch, and you put forms, and you pour concrete, you pour a foundation. And on that foundation, then you begin to frame up walls, and then you decorate the house, and then, and then you, you have this ornamentations and stuff that you decorate with, and then you have a family that moves in and lives in it. And that's a picture of what Paul is kind of drawing out here. So when he says, and he begins in chapter 1, he tells us, he says, we're chosen by God to be holy and blameless. In other words, Paul is saying when he looks at this book, he's he's like, you are chosen by God and he's chosen you to be holy and blameless, not to be bound by our sin and death, but to be holy and blameless and you were adopted through Jesus Christ. You were adopted into the family. I never knew my birth father, I was adopted by my dad. I totally understand that picture. He called me his own son. He gave me his name. I was his own. And God did the same thing. He brought us into his family. And that we, that in Christ we were redeemed. We were bought out of the bondage of sin and death. And we were brought into his family. We were given forgiveness. The forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. Which he just lavished on us. There's this picture whereby he's drawing out who we are and the strength of who we are in Christ. We obtained an inheritance. Isn't it amazing? God gives us an inheritance. We're called co-heirs with Jesus Christ. We are, we are his family. And it's amazing that God would bless us like that. And then he seals it. He makes it happen by the guarantee of the inheritance by the sealing of the Holy Spirit of promise. That's that, that's that ditch of possession of who we are. Paul wants us to understand who we are when he's writing this book. And he, and he continues on when he begins to pray in the latter part of chapter 1. He prays that our hearts would be enlightened. That we would, we would know the hope by which he called us. Are you in the evil day right now? Do you understand the importance of hope? Paul is saying, I am praying that your hearts would be enlightened, that you would understand the hope of your calling, that you would not lose hope in the discouragement. In that evil day, you would not lose hope. It's the hope by which he called us. It's the riches of the inheritance, he goes on, that you would understand the riches of our inheritance, of what we have as believers. I don't care what you've accumulated on this earth. It does not match the inheritance that God has for us. It does not. Do you understand the riches of the inheritance and the immeasurable greatness of his power? that works towards us. Is that incredible? His immeasurable power. In fact, he describes the power when he says it's the same power that works in us is the same power that took Jesus and rose him from the dead. That same power, that power can transform lives. It can help you overcome wickedness and overcome bitterness. It can restore homes and relationships, husbands and wives. Children and parents, that's the power of God. That same power 
that rose Jesus. Paul says, I pray that you would have your hearts enlightened, that you would understand these things. And then he walks into chapter two, and in that chapter two, he talks about that cement. He just kind of pours it in there, begins to pour that foundation. And he says, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, separated from God. We were a people of no hope. We were people of this world. We had no hope in Christ without Christ. And then I love these words, verse four of chapter two. I love the words, two of my favorite words in all of scripture. But God, but God, full of mercy and grace, but God made us alive. Dear people of God, do you know who you are in Christ? But God made us alive. He made us alive together with Christ. That's why Christ Because he lives, we live. The reason I know that he's coming again is because he's not in the grave. The reason I know that I will live is because he's not in the grave. He conquered sin and death. And because of that, I am alive with him. And he says there in chapter two that, that we are raised up with him and we are seated in the heavenlies with him. Isn't that powerful? That's why he can say that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. That's why he can say that, because he made us alive. Do we understand, dear people, God? Do we understand who we are? Because if you don't understand who you are, you will not be able to stand in the day, in the evil day. You will not. You have to understand that. If you're gonna come out victorious, if you're gonna overcome, as we sang before this message, if you're gonna overcome, You're only gonna overcome through Jesus. I don't care how disciplined you are. I don't care how intelligent you are. I don't care how strong you are. The only way you're gonna overcome is in Christ. It's the only hope. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Amen. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. is an honor. So as we build, we have the foundation. Now Paul moves in in verses cha- or chapters four through six, and he begins to talk about behavior. I call this the construction phase, where he frames up. The first thing is he's framing up unity. This is why I think unity is so important in the body of Christ. I do not understand why we get divided. If we're in Christ, why? I don't understand it. We're to walk in a manner, and Paul says in chapter four, we're to walk in a manner worthy of the calling into which you have been called. Your calling into the family of God is far greater than any offense you've experienced. There is one body, one spirit, one Lord, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. He is our God and he's gifted us with spiritual gifts that we might operate within the body of Christ so that the evil day does not destroy us. Dear people of God. He goes on and talks about the ornamentation of the walk, that we no longer walk like we used to in unbelief. That we put off that old man. We put off those old ways. And we put on the new man. We put on the new Christ. We put on him It says, put on the new, which was created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Don't tell me that you're gonna live in sin and you're gonna be good with God at the same time. That is not biblical. 
God never taught that. It's not preached in the scriptures. And we got to quit believing that. That's an amen, by the way, in case you guys weren't sure. If you believe that, you're being deceived. God created us for blameless, to be blameless and holy and righteous. And in Christ, he makes us that. We need to quit fooling around with all the things of this world and we need to be focused on who we are in Christ Jesus. And he continues on in that, in that indwelling home life and he begins to talk about walking in love. That we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. No, not, not walking around like, like drunks who are controlled by alcohol. We're, 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 not, we're not those anymore. We're being controlled by the Spirit. It's a new life we have in Christ and how it, how it relates to our, our relationships at church, how it relates to our relationships in the family of God, how it relates to our relationships in our, with our husbands and our wives, how it relates to our relationships with our parents and our children. It impacts everything. And Paul is building this case so when he comes to verse 10 of chapter 6 and he says, finally, in light of all of these things, of who you are in Christ, of what God has done in your life, finally, you know what? Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Be strong there. That union that you have with Christ that power that overcomes resistance. It literally has the idea to be strengthened, to be empowered. You're gonna withstand in the evil day. You're only gonna be able to withstand in Christ. It's his power, that's the resources. That's why he's listing all these things down in chapter six that we will be looking at over the next few weeks. That you put those things on. It's not our strength, but it's his strength. Our relationship to Christ gives us access to this power and the need to appropriate and rely on God's power in us. Believers are not only, are only able, we're only able to prevail through the protection and power of God himself. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse four, Paul says the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but have divine power. You, if you're in a relationship in your home and maybe you're struggling in your, in your relationship and you think it's, it's him or it's her, it's not against flesh and blood. Those things can be overcome by the power of God in our lives. And he tells us, and he tells us to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, that we're to put on the whole armor that you may be able to stand it's a, it's a major phrase in these three verses, to stand. It's a military term of holding our position. The Roman soldiers would sometimes take their, their shoes and they would nail, hammer nails through the bottom of the shoe so they could get them in the dirt and they could stand. And dear people of God, we need to stand. Not stand in our might, not stand in our wisdom, not stand in our abilities, not stand in our resources, but stand in the resources that God has given us that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That that same power that works in, in us is that same power that worked in Christ to raise him from the dead. That we can overcome those things. We are overcomers because of Christ. 
It's not about, the spiritual battle is not about an easy life. Please understand that. Do not come through these doors and think because you came through the doors that maybe God's gonna give you a better week. That is a deceptive lie from our adversary. Because when you have that bad week, you're gonna go, well, I guess God doesn't matter. How many times I heard people say, I did the church thing. I go, no, you didn't. You might've walked through a door and sat in a chair, but you don't know what the power of God is in your life. You don't know. Because the battle isn't about an easy life. The battle is about a continual dependence and reliance on Jesus. Our adversary himself, our devil himself, is a sworn enemy of the church and is a master of strategies and he wants to deceive us about God's truth. What we read in Ephesians chapter one, verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and our adversary wants to do everything he can to convince you that isn't true. And if he convinces you and he deceives you, he will destroy you. In that evil day, that's when you, you buckle down and even though I feel like, oh, Lord, I don't need to pray anymore because everything's evil, everything in the worst case scenario is gonna happen again, I'm gonna still pray. I'm still gonna stand firm. His tactics must not catch us unaware. It involves us standing firm, holding our position, resisting, and not, resi- not surrendering to the opposition. I don't know, today you might be here and maybe you're in the middle of an evil day. Maybe you're struggling. First thing I would ask is, do you know Christ? Have you received Christ into your life? If you haven't, you don't have the power. You don't have the the resources of God to overcome an evil day. And you would need to receive Christ into your life. And you need to do that today. Maybe you're here as a believer and you just... Like the way I was feeling, you're just pounded and then pounded and then pounded and then pounded. And you just feel like, gosh, I'm so discouraged. I'm doubting. And I would say to you, buckle up. Buckle up what you know to be true, that God is faithful and true. God means us well. And stand on the promises and the truth of who God is, what he has done. You are the people of God. Be firm and stand still and resist and he will flee from you. Let's pray. Father God, this morning I just pray. I pray, Father, that your spirit would move among us. I don't, Lord, I don't know all the circumstances and everything that everyone's going on, going through here. It's here this morning or online watching. But Father, I just pray that your spirit would move through every heart and every mind and that, Father, you would, just, you would just touch their lives. Those that need to be encouraged and need to be strengthened, God, you would strengthen their, their weak arms and their weak knees. Lord, I know what that day is like. And, and, Lord, it's in that day when all that I have is you. And it isn't until we're falling hopelessly and completely into your everlasting arms that we realize that, Father, that's all we need. And some, Father, here, they need faith. They need faith. They need to be reminded of the truths and they need to stand on what they believe 
that they are the people of God. You have redeemed them. You have set them aside and you call them your own. Father, there's some here today. Maybe they've never received you into their life, but today is the day, Father, when they would simply respond to you and, and ask for you to come into their lives. And there would be a great change and great, a great exchange taking place. Moving from the domain of darkness into the domain of light, standing in the righteousness of Christ, experiencing your goodness. May, Father, that happen today. May some come to Christ. Father, have your way with us. May your spirit move among us and convict, encourage, strengthen, whatever it is that, Father, we would need. You would, you would do that as you will. In Jesus' name, amen.